Pete, you went on strike today. I, I, I think we need to start with that, like at the UAE tour, a little bit. No, what happened? <laughs> what happened? Um, it was like a unofficial 60, 70 kilometre neutral zone, basically is what happened. And yeah, we're commentating on it and we're not racing it, fair enough. But yeah, not a lot happened for <laughs> <laughs> well over an hour. Wow. And so you just down tools. You just you you and Declan just just gave up. Yeah, cans <laughs> cans on the table. Went out for a few coffees. Uh, I actually I did a classic David Miller. I actually put my rucksack down inside those little cabins that we have. Um, oh. Lay my head on it and got a bit of shut eye. Oh. And there was and then there was this one attack by two uh, Sudal Quickstep riders, Bouchard and Thomas again. Thomas again. Um, but did I, just Actually, De- did I just call Declan Dennis? No, I don't think I, so. Oh, I, I don't think not. so. Okay, God, I no. thought I did for a your, Maybe your, your internal monologue did. <laughs> uh, anyway, Declan <laughs> woke me up. like, And I was like, It's Whoa. going on at the same time. <laughs> yeah, that's when it becomes a problem. Um, <laughs> <laughs> hey, Pete, when, just, just convolution when you do your, therapy um, part two. <laughs> <laughs> when you do your your kind of commentary nap, do you keep the the cans on? Oh yeah, because that's that's pro. Because that's, that's you get that's also because I got these meditation apps, and you can have like washing machine background noise. Imagine why don't they have helicopter like bike race background <laughs> noise on a meditation app? Yeah. I could that would be blissful, wouldn't it? Like that, um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, it's so it's so disappointing. I was so disappointed years ago when I found out for the first time that that helicopter noise is fake. No, it's not. Well, it has to be. Oh, of course come, it does. oh come on, come on, David. Oh, I've, I've just broken that. I news thought the cows, the, the cows, yeah, and, the, and the bells, the, the motorbikes—they're not fake. Are they? Exhaust from the and, the, and then yeah. you hear, when you sometimes hear the camera guys talking. Oh, it's Pete not hit the record. International? Oh, yes. No, I have because <laughs> I usually say guys at that point when I don't hit record. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's what I thought it was. I was what? like, no, yeah. no. <laughs> I thought exactly the same thing. Two minutes fifteen in, <laughs> what? <laughs> guys. What's that background noise called? What's the? Is it? What's the? What's what the word effects? For? effects? Effects. Effects. So yeah, one one particular thing that. You, Ned Bolting, and you, David Millet, with all your, you know, experience of commentary, have never taught me is, and one one thing I've never thought about, which Declan slipped in on the first day, that it helps, you know, push your voice a little bit if you have that going on in your ears, and I, I never really thought about that before. Well, do you so, commentate in silence? No, not silence, but I, I've never really put the two and two together. I yeah, mean, I you first, you know, when you start, it's hearing yourself through your own ears is strange. Mm. So that's you know one yeah. one part of commentary. That would be three voices for you, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> Internal monologue, actual voice, then playback voice. Trinity, <laughs> chapter three. David, I think you've just just won the podcast. Yeah, that's absolutely yeah. Brilliant. yeah. So, but yeah, I, I I know what you mean, Pete. So you just you turn it up a little bit, and it just it gives it you that little gives bit you of a bit intensity, of oomph, doesn't it, towards your yeah, voice because you're trying to override basically what's going mm. on in your ears. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. Very good. Because well, it's, yeah. it's, actually, it's actually really hard to commentate when you don't have effects, and that sometimes happens. Yeah. And, and when you get used to all, or when you become an experienced commentator like myself, and you get used to all these effects in your ears, your own voice, the, the director, then when it's silence, it's like, wow, now it's really yeah. hard to commentate. Yeah. Totally. But that's isn't that interesting totally that that's, that's how you start, though? That's what's comfortable when you start. Isn't yeah. that interesting? Yeah. It's true, because we always turn off the effects for guests. Guess yeah, there's true. no, no, there's yeah. not, there's, there's yeah. nothing in the ears. Mm. There's yeah. no director's voice. Barely yeah. your own voice. And why, why is that? I don't know. Can't, can't yeah. win out. You're a pro now. You're pro. Well, You're pro. You've also done loads. You've done loads of commentary. Me and David haven't done any yet in 2023. So you know, bang. Got a, yeah, yeah. We got a cracking well, race um, coming up there. What happens? Yeah, we have Paris Nice. Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Oh, um, yeah, big one. Pete, Pete, what happened in the um, at the end? <laughs> I actually, I watched it, so I don't know why I'm asking you, but because you watched it much more closely it's than a me. Podcast, it was a good it? sprint. It was a good sprint. <coughs> it Enjoyed was it. a good sprint. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was. <laughs> it's just mad, the UAE tour, isn't it? Because they're all there. It's only Fabio Jakobsen who's not there. Everyone else is there, right? Who matters, I think, pretty much. A funny story about Fabio Jakobsen. Well, actually, no, it's not about him. It's about me. Um, 
yesterday I was trying to call him we'd just been talking about Jakob Fulsang Fulsang and I was calling him Ooh. I was calling Fabio Jakobsen Jakob and I was like Jakob Jakobo Jakob <laughs> Declan was looking at me like like you know like <laughs> <we're together. laughs> and I was like no wonder I couldn't get to his last name I'm trying to say <laughs> his first name. <laughs> listen, uh, and tie, listen and tie yourself up in knots about Ethan Hater and Ethan Vernon like I did. The yeah, or well, Ma- so Matthew, Matthew Glogue's probably your uh, claim Matthew to fame. Matthew Glogue. Matthew <laughs> Glogue. Tom Glogue. Um, uh, yeah, but what happened at the end? So, um, uh, no, it's Grunewagen, wasn't it, in the end? Today, yeah. was it? Yeah, Grunewagen. Quite easily as well. well it wasn't, I was but, watched a sprint yesterday and it was like, looks mental. Oh, it was like... Uh, they might as well have started the race with 5k to go. Yeah. Yeah. Where was, where was um, uh, Sir Mark Cavendish today? Uh, Sir Mark Cavendish was on the right-hand side, opened up a sprint. and Top 10, wasn't he? Top 10, Seventh couldn't race? really yep. match. Well, no one could obviously match Grunewagen. Mm. Um, mm. he, he, he Honestly, his perfect sprint today, even, I mean, ev- tactically, technically, uh, the whole shebang, so... Fair play to it feels uh, it feels a little bit Pete like he, he doesn't have a too much faith in his leader at the moment Kev you can kind of see him you can almost like when I was watching the sprint like with only that in mind and I didn't have to commentate like you I was just f- kind of focused on where that little white jersey was and and he was constantly sort of like darting back to the Astana tr- you know this is like 3k out 4k out and then just just finding another wheel and like it, you could almost sense a bit of indecisiveness about whether or not he kind of was going to sort of go with it or just I don't know it's yeah that's what it feels like and it and it, well it feels like it but I think matter of fact is it is you know it's we yeah. um, I can't really recall seeing Case Ball within the final kilometre or K and a half even in front of him mm. Uh, mm, but that yeah. takes that takes time in all fairness absolutely as well. yeah, so. yeah 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 um uh, right. Well, before we go any further into um, into the the podcast, and by the way, we're going to continue with 2013 in this pod. It's going to be the the the, the, fi- the final bit of the thing that we left you hanging with over a month ago. But um, Pete, we've had a bit of feedback from a from a listener today. I love you from a young man called who's a, a journalist, uh, a sports oh. journalist student, I think, and he's called. I probably mispronounced his name, but it looks like Matt Coyle or Matt Cool or cool. something like that. Cool, yeah. cool, and he sent this. Uh, little story, this little recollection of Peter Kenyuk from three, four years ago. Hi guys, I uh, hope everything's going okay with you, uh, especially you Pete with the, the lads in Grand Camino, looks a bit brutal, and uh, David, Cape Epic Training, um, I hope that's going as well as it can. My story's kind of centred around Pete, uh, it was a club run on the Isle of Man, I was racing for the Manx Junior National Squad, and we uh, we were out in the club and Pete was there racing for Bora at the time, but late on, and it was very clear that obviously you weren't enjoying it. Um, you weren't happy on the bike and, and very reserved, very, very insult uh, almost. And yeah, but I still schlooged massively. Uh, having a pro out in the club runs uh, pretty special. So, well, kind of quite regular in the Isle of Man, but, but, but special nonetheless. So I schlooged massively. Didn't have the bottle to come up to you and say anything, but um, I could see you wanted to become a, become kind of a coach manager sort of thing after that because you organized races on the club run that day which had never really been done before and i um i came off at the bottom of a climb and was just getting back up again and it was quote unquote mid-race and you came past me and just shouted uh get back on the bumper of the car and there was no car obviously but that's what i was supposed to do so i went full gas up the climb to get back on but what I really wanted to say was the difference that I see in you now in terms of how you are on the podcast, at least. Um, and back then, racing for Bora is remarkable. It, it's like we released the pressure and everything, and I completely relate to that. Somebody who struggled with mental health before, having something and hearing you say that you have something you're passionate about in team management now makes such a difference. And it's fantastic to see how that's changed your mindset and the way the way that your happiness i guess and the way you are as a person um is really refreshing to see and fantastic to see and um i remember a club run just after that actually you were back out again and you just retired and it was a different different pete and i thought we're equals now no he's not a pro anymore and i i come up to you 
and, and stop schlugging and then you battered me for four hours. So thanks for that. Um, yeah, cheers, guys. Well, that's very nice. Pete, you've listened to it, haven't you? I don't think David has, so he's no. kind of like flying completely blind here, but mm-hmm. you had a little listen. But do, do you remember Do you remember the incident in question, Pete, or not? Yeah, I remember the incident. It's very nice words, I have to say, from, from Matt there. It's always a bit strange when someone gives an opinion on you that <laughs> you don't necessarily, <laughs> or you don't know them that well, uh, going out and, live and then on someone your podcast. Has to, and then someone on a podcast asks you uh, what you think about the opinion from that person about <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've, really, I've doubled down on the In all fairness to him, it's, fa- it's yeah, fairly accurate. Yeah, it's just sometimes yeah. hard to take, isn't it? But yeah. But, yeah, but it's really it's really nice. He's just I think he's just saying what you've what I think all our listeners will have kind of figured out about you and you know, as you figure it out about yourself and that, you know, it's great. I think it's a real compliment. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, keep him keep him coming. I should say that if people want to contribute little bits and pieces, we're always open to that. And we now have a grown up We've got a grown-up website, haven't we? Neverstraysfar.com. We do. Where some, eventually some new merchandise is going to land. And we've got the easy easy email address now. And we've got the easy email address that we haven't once mentioned. So let's yeah, mention just it now. Hello at neverstraysfar.com. And, um, and if you've got an iPhone or whatever, you can just send a little voice memo. And, uh, you know, I'll always listen to them. Have a little listen. And uh, um, it'll go in the pod like Matt's did. If it's up to scratch. Um, did either of you, Pete, you won't have had time to watch the other race that's going on, but you will have been in contact with Trinity because, oh, Gran Camin, Camino, they're, they're in the race, aren't they? So, um, first of all, from the Trinity perspective, from what you understand, how's it going? Yeah, it's going swimmingly. <laughs> <laughs> good result. You had a good result today, didn't you? I mean, in terms know? of... Wh- who like wh- what we are as a team, which is essentially a, a development team, to arrive at a race like this with the level of the competitors at the race, and not only to place a guy Lucas Newica to be more specific, but uh, in the top ten on a on a stage like today is is huge for our team. Yeah. Um, and you know he last year his race program was very thin on the ground, but I did the Vuelta Portugal with him and they already seen his talent and knew what he was capable of uh but yeah i mean incredible and you know they rode as a team to deliver him to the, the bottom of that four kilometer climb i think it was around 3.9 kilometers at 7.6 percent um yeah, steep. Yep. In- incredibly and yeah i mean the whole team should take confidence from that um at the end of the day success breeds success you know he's out there training in calpe with all the other guys they know that they're not far off, you know, what he can do. So great result for Lucas and even more so great result for the team. And hopefully that, you know, really helps catapult everyone else onto to bigger things throughout the year. So really, really proud. Cool. Nice. Yeah. Dave, David, you, you reminded me that what his dad got up to at the Tour of Britain last year because I'd completely forgotten about that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's in that lovely village, wasn't it? With the um, With we're no still parking. hotel of the year. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Nice yeah. hotel. That was a great yeah, hotel. Was a nice hotel. Yeah, he kind of he was he was at the top of the final KOM or something, then ran to the finish. Yeah. Yeah, like, like eighteen yeah. miles. Yeah, eighteen Ks. <laughs> like, oh, and then ran back. And ran back, I guess. Yeah. Like yeah. Yeah. Classic. Because he was a uh, his father was a. I hadn't realised I'd forgotten, was a um ran the marathon for the for G B and finished fourth? Or something like that, just out of the medals. Eight. I might have got that wrong. Eight. Oh, is it eight? I think it was, yeah. Still, that's okay. Olympics. But it's still. not bad. Bloody, bloody good, isn't it? Quite good. Yeah. In 1996 at the um, Atlanta Olympics. So that's a, that's a good story. But did either of you get to see any of the pictures from stage one of that, of the old Gran Camino and the snowstorm? No, I didn't. <laughs> oh, it was nuts. Pete, did you see any of that? Just what I've seen on Twitter, but yeah, it looked horrific. A couple, of, it's, I, the, it's the classic, you know. I think Vinegar was in liaison with the chief commissaire potentially and decided to yeah take it upon himself to be the patron of the peloton i guess and call the stage off with the commissaire but it's 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 one of them isn't it you have the younger guys within our team lights of luke lamperty perfect stage for him and it's an opportunity missed yeah yeah and there was a, there was a really i mean i i agree but i, I can see both sides yeah, of this exactly. so it just it looked like the peloton just, I mean, they just, we passing meter, 
and pedal stroke, you just saw the will just getting sapped out of them. And when Rowan Dennis had done his final turn, he was wearing, I was telling David earlier, he didn't even have tights on, Pete. He was just wearing sh- oh, you know, yeah, shorts. It was insane. And he just pulled over to the side. And I think that was the moment where he must have given a look as he, as he pulled off the front. And all the big players just went, well, this is just... Enough's and enough. You could just, mm. Enough's enough. And you could just see the wheel just getting sapped out of the peloton. But then three riders had gone off the front and were making a good race of it. And it took ages for them to... Like, for a while, the, the race director was going up and saying, stop, stop, stop. And they just refused. Because mm. I could understand that from their point of view. So we've put the effort into, mm-hmm. you know, to live in these circumstances and get on that, get up the road and get on the attack. Why should we stop? And just because they don't want to, you know. It comes down to, is it safety or is it because it's just that cold? And yeah. when it, if it's safety, then so. fair, fair enough. But they still, everyone still had to ride back to their buses, which was 15 yeah. kilometers once the race had been neutralized. So, I mean, yeah. I don't know. I'm not there. It's yeah, yeah. Mm. It's pretty unusual anyway. It was, uh, and it made pretty good television. So there we go. Mm. Um, cool. Should we why talk about 2013? Well, why won oh, that? Should sorry. we just mention what Vingegaard did today? Oh, yeah. Because uh, yeah, it he's was back on stage. I was kind well, of expe- not expecting him to be uh, kind of Taddy Pogacar-esque. Pogacar-esque. I wouldn't say quite on the level of that yet based on what he's done Pogacar's done this year yeah true I mean if you look at who was in the the top six Jesus Arada I mean I even put him away on Altuez in whatever it was yeah nothing (laughs) I mean if you base it off that it's quite an average ride really oh Pete put yourself down (laughs) <laughs> I'm joking. No, but I tell you, I, 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 I completely agree. It's not the same quality of um, Peloton at all as what Pogacar's been devastating recently. Yeah. And also, Pogacar's backed it up. But it's the first, you know, it's the first showing from Jonas Vingegaard. And what, I, mean, I think where the similarity lies is when he went with 2.5, 2.4 kilometres to go, it was, I mean, only Pogacar and Vingegaard, regardless of the quality of the climbing field they're leaving behind at the moment, are able to do that. Mm. It was brutal i mean it was it took seconds before he had a a race winning it was just gone he was gone you know i think it was herado who tried to follow or in is a giddy one of the coffee riders you know for about <laughs> for about five six seconds tried to go with the move and then just you could see it just bah, that's gone hmm. it was honestly it was it was it was just game over it's a real shame to do that um remco's actually not in the tour this year oh, i feel no. like it's a perfect year for all three of them all peaking to Oh yeah, all to all to clash at this same time of their peak years. I mean, yeah, they might have another year under their belts. Yeah, obviously they probably will. But just where we're at in cycling at the minute, it just seems perfect. I mean, watching obviously this this race, Ned, you'll know you get you spend a lot of time in front of those TV screens, don't you? You get to watch the riders from the sign on to the presentations at the end, and Remco's something else, isn't he? Yeah, and that's the big unknown, isn't it? I think you're right. It's so interesting to, to to sort of imagine how he might react or be able to react on a climb if a Vingegaard or a Pogacar launches like that on on a climb. I, I don't know. I think I don't. I don't think anyone knows that. I don't think Remco knows whether he could mm. actually follow those moves. He can do. He can devastate other pelotons in different as we saw in the World Championships, and you know he can do a, an amazing amount of things. But can he react on a long climb? in the company of those two. And that's the, that's the big question mark that hangs over the, the top end of the GC field at the moment, I think. And you're right. Yeah. yeah the di- I mean, the biggest difference I've seen with the free riders in terms of character and personality is Remco is like, he's just a director, isn't he? Even like off the bike, he's almost mm. like directing everyone, even in the podium ceremonies. He's like, yeah, you go, you go team time trial. He's clearly seen him say to his teammates, I go on first. Um, <laughs> even when he left the podium today, and you have the the doors that have all the sponsors on, and it's like a oh, like yeah. a massive. He just went like like he he went like this in, in terms of like open, and they just opened. <laughs> oh, we did. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> open sesame. Yeah, he's, yeah, he's just manifesting his life. I don't know if he's playing on it. He might be, but oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's pretty cool. Yeah, it's um, cool. Right, let's go back to 2013. Do you remember where we left off? Because I had to go back no and listen idea. to the other. But, but yeah, yeah. So Chris Froome, we got to the Pyrenees. This is after David Miller has narrowly avoided uh, wearing the yellow jersey for the third time in his career. Third time? Yeah, it would have been that, I think. Um, didn't quite happen. Jan Bacalantz contributed. We had a stage win from <clears throat> uh, Dan Martin. And that's where we left off. And that was the same day that Pete found himself um, going off off the road and Chris Froome got himself isolated and uh, hung on. Um, but what I hadn't realised, Pete, was that by the end of that day where we left off, it was the last day of racing before the first rest day in 2013, I hadn't realised that um, Richie Port had somehow contrived to lose 18 minutes, having started the day in second place, and he fell out of GC contention. And the, the detail that really surprised me, that I'd completely forgotten about, was that Vasil Kirienka was outside the time limit and was off the race. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. So this yeah, was... Yeah, because he was just disappeared. Yeah, go on, Pete. You were there. That was the, that was the implosion day, wasn't it? Where the eye crashed. Yeah. Every, you, everyone was like, like an mm. assassination on Team Sky, wasn't it? Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah. Can I admit that I, now? I was, I, was on a f- <laughs> I was on a flyer that day, even after getting out of the bushes. Um, and yeah, there was groups everywhere. I got back up to Richie Port, and I think was it the Perisod? And uh, Aspen, wasn't it? Uh, well, the stage finished in Banya de Bigor. The so climb before that. I think it might be Aspen. Anyway, I can't. No, it wasn't that, Aspen. because yeah. that's the one before okay. the Tormelo. Aspe. We did the one Casatelli's. I feel right, like it, the, it. It was like that's a the fate, Aspe, isn't it? It was yeah, a famous, yeah. I think it was a, it was one of the, the ones, it was a famous climate, I feel yeah. like. But, so I got back up to Richie and we had Michael Kwiatkowski with us and one other rider from Quickstep and there was just four of us. And I was on the front the whole way up, which what I think is the parasol, but it might not be. Um, feeling really good. And then Kwiatkowski and whoever else was with us hit me and Richie Port on the descent and made it back to the front group with Chris Froome and Rich didn't and I was obviously being cheapest on the descent after my crash and oh, that's okay. how the stage finished for me Kirienko yeah finished at the time limit um, and yeah yeah we got on the bus and that the, the first rest day was, was the next day wasn't it yeah, it was. There did was, we fly um, somewhere? Did we fly somewhere after that? You, f- you, f- yeah. you flew, you, l- you, you lucky sods. You flew. We had a something like an eight hundred kilometre drive oh. from the from the Pyrenees to Brittany. Oh. Welcome to our rest day. It was enormous. It was one of the biggest single transfers I've ever done in the in the Tour de France. And we had to get there in time for. And Pete, you were there as well for a kind of lunchtime, early afternoon press conference on the beach. You were staying in some beach resort in Brittany. And there was this press conference. I think you were all summoned to it. We were. And it was a little bit fractious because there'd been some... Uh, Anton Voyer in, the, in, the, um, in Le Mans had written a thing about comparing Froome's power data to Armstrong's power data on Axe-Trois-Domaines. And so a lot of the, a lot of the press conference, uh, particularly from the French media and from Paul Kimmage, was about, was about doping, actually. And it was kind of all a bit... Yeah, must have been quite... I mean, well, particularly, I think for Chris Froome, it must have been pretty testing that that press conference because he's also he'd endured a pretty hard day having been isolated the day before. Yeah, and I, even Paul Kimmage that whole race, I feel like that was the last I heard of him. Actually, after that tour, I can't remember him being around that much mm. that I'm aware of. Anyway, but I remember him saying like, "How do you lose four kilos in from like mm. Romandy until the tour, which is what three or four months?" Five I think the last time, I think I heard of like him in 20, what year did I run for CPA president? Oh. 2019? 20, I don't know. No, it was pretty shortly after my career, was it my final year? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah you're right, yeah, 2018. Anyway, he sent me abusive messages then, text <laughs> messages. That was the last I heard of him, I think. But yeah. they just okay. be, like, his accusations just weren't, weren't backed up by, by anything, no. you know? Oh, well, anyway, let's not talk about Paul. Let's move on no, to the bike race. Yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah. So yeah, the, the we're the going bike down race a bit did, of a rabbit hole. Though. The, mm. bike, the bike race did move on, and the next day um, <laughs> the next day finished in San Marlo, um, and it was a bunch of sprints, and it was a real opportunity for Mark Cavendish, but it didn't work out 
it didn't work out for Cav on that particular occasion. I can't actually remember who won the stage. I think Marcel Kittel must have won. Marcel Kittel, yeah. Did he? Um, yeah. Kittel won the stage. But what, what that will be remembered for, perhaps more than that, especially from a Cavendish perspective, is he came together with Tom Velas of the Sunweb team. Were they Sunweb back then? Or Argos Shimano, wasn't it? it was, of course, mm. he was a lead-out man for, um, for Marcel. And there was that kind of coming together and a rancorous aftermath of all of that. Because um, Tom Villas crashed and blamed Mark Cavendish for having brought him down, bring him down. Mm. No, Pete's looking blank no there. David, you dimly remember yeah, that? dimly remember it. I was just looking through, yeah, yeah, I do, because this was the year as well when, it's crazy, we, we were talking about this on the last podcast, this is 2013, that's a decade ago, and we thought that it was the end, that was the twilight near the end of Mark Cavendish's career, because he only won two stages in that Tour de France. In the 2013 <laughs> Tour de France, a decade ago, a decade oh, ago, weird. and so yeah, and we were yeah. like, oh, he's getting desperate. He's getting himself in like fracases like that. Marcel Kittel's now come on. He's going to be just dominating for years to come, and that Marcel's gone. Yeah, Mark's here, just Long still gone. going for the record. Yeah. Madness. yeah, yeah, yeah. Who says this and type it, of stuff? Like journalists and commentators, and they have no clue what they're talking about, do they? <laughs> do you know what i've i have i've already heard people i've already heard people on the on the evidence of the tour of oman and the uae tour writing cavendish off no No one learns do they i mean no i mean literally you know like it's 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 extraordinary to think that but um yeah anyway so continuing with cavendish the next day was a individual time trial in san um mont saint michel that was beautiful finish bike change bike change was it that No, time that trial? came later. That oh, was in the later. mountains. That was a second time trial. Oh, this so was the first late time trial, Sam. Yeah, this was pan flat. Um, Mont Saint-Michel, it finished. Uh, Froome won the stage, put a bit more time into everyone. I think he did anyway. Um, certainly put time into the GC race. But, but No, Tony Martin um, won. Tony Martin won, that's right, yeah. I think he was a world champion at the time as well, wasn't mm. he? Um, but Mark Cavendish had urine thrown at him. Oh, uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. If you can't remember that, I've nicked a little bit of kind of sound from a American news network that I found on the internet. And this sums up the whole uh, Mark Cavendish stage 10 and stage 11 controversy and experience. Mark Cavendish and Tom Veers have entered into a war of words following their collision during stage 10 of the Tour de France on Tuesday. Cavendish has been accused of deliberately crashing into the Dutch rider during the sprint finish into Saint-Malo. The Brit was cleared of any blame by race organisers, but when questioned about the incident, Cavendish angrily snatched away a reporter's dictaphone. Following the race, Cavendish called Veers to check on his condition and reiterates his view that it was an accident. Veers wanted a personal apology, something the Omega Pharma Quickstep rider was unwilling to offer. Cavendish suffered jeering from the crowd during Stage 11's 33km time trial from Avranche to Mont Saint-Michel on Wednesday. He also suffered the indignity of having a bottle of urine thrown over him by a spectator. While the 28-year-old refused to comment on the incident, both his Omega manager Patrick Lefebvre and French teammate Jerome Pinot condoned the actions. Uh, stage 12 then, we carried on. We started rattling down towards the Massive Central and then you know, uh, crossing the Ronin and towards the Alps. Stage 12 was a fairly routine, as far as I remember, sprint uh, f- uh, finish from... for Sorry, sprint victory from... Marcel Kittel ahead of Mark Cavendish into Tour. And, um, but stage 13 was the crosswinds day into the very difficult to pronounce saint amand Monton, And that was the day where Contador took a little bit of time back on Chris Froome. Uh, yeah. And neither of you guys made it to the front group that day. How did, how did it pan out for you? Can you remember it? I'm just trying to remember. I can't. I remember. No. Uh, you do, yeah. It fir- so the it first went into the gutter, and Valverde was the first big GC guy to lose out. I don't know if it was through bike problems, or whatever. Front group, and it was honestly, it was, it was just you know that you have that moment, don't you, David? When you think you're going to make it, well, you have made it in the echelon. The echelons have uh, happened. Yeah. There's a there's maybe two of maximum three groups on the road, and it settles down. And everyone just got complacent for a split second. We were behind, literally the team behind. Uh, is it was it Saxo Bank at the time with the yes, yellow right. yeah, and blue yeah. kit? And it was Bernati who attacked 
um, stuck it into the gutter, and we were literally behind them. Um, Chris Froome tried everything to jump across to it, got into no man's land, came back to the group with me, Geraint Thomas, I can't remember who else, and Edvard Bersenhagen. Yeah, maybe. It, yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> I love the way you've just shouted that, David, with real conviction. No, because I'm just, just looking at the fact. results. You've I'm just looking. No, because I'm looking at the results. Yeah, yeah. Edward Belson Hagen. David. David Lopez. <laughs> David Lopez. Yeah. And David then, Lopez. Yeah. 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 Um, and that was it then, just full, full throttle, and they managed to take maybe a minute, yeah. did they, or a bit less? <clears throat> minute and one and a half minutes. Constable oh, took back, half, but yeah. but he already had a he had like a four minute deficit, so you know it didn't it didn't really make a dent. Um, but it was another little warning shot, wasn't it? Sort of thing. And of course, Cavendish won the stage because he managed to get himself in the group with. And the only other threat to him was Peter Sagan, who's a significant threat. Yeah. <laughs> I'll grant you other grant you that much, but Cav Cavendish got the job done. Ned, I'm in the it. hotel where you spent your last day of the UAE tour last night last year. Um, oh, are you? Before you departed, remember? And you left all your yes. clothes on the bed, and that was it. Yeah. <laughs> I should ex- I should explain. We get given doing that job that I no longer do, but I've walked away from. But I've saddled Pete with for the rest of his life. Uh, we get given like in a we get given an unreasonable amount of like merchandise, don't we? Sort of really quite unpleasant. Oh, mind you, you quite liked it last year, didn't you, Pete? Yeah. You're sort of rocking like it. Like a what oh, bomber type. I don't know jacket, yeah. wasn't it? <laughs> you like the trousers, the cargo trousers cargo last year. Pants. I think. Yeah, oh, I no, pulled them out of the tour of Britain. <laughs> Yeah, I remember that hotel. Uh, I, remember. I also remember, Pete, this time last year, I remember we had to get COVID tests to get on the aeroplane. And of course, we were tested quite regularly last year, weren't we, throughout the race. But I remember that the, the race organisation had organised the tests and I had never had such an ineffective and unconvincing COVID test as the one they gave us last year. Do you remember they had a like, little cotton bud thing that they vaguely put on the tips of our nose? Yeah. And then, like, you know, like touched our teeth with it and then went, you're fine. Go on, off you go. <laughs> yeah. And anyway, yeah. I don't know. Uh, sorry, I just, I don't know. I've just, just come back to you. Yeah, just come back to me. I'm sat in the hotel. I remember, I remember we got a really early, I think we got a really early shuttle bus or in the middle of the night or something. We had to get a shuttle bus to go and catch our flight. And I remember sort of waving goodbye to you like oh, that because you nice. were on a different flight or staying another day or something like that. Yeah. And you were, you just looked like completely lost in the foyer of this five-star hotel in the Middle East. Like, and I thought, is he going to be all right? Will he and make it's it four home? o'clock in the morning and <laughs> you're wandering around like <laughs> not, not really knowing what you were doing. It was no. <laughs> a bit like when I turned up. Um, shall we box this 2013 Tour de France off? For, for come on then forever and yeah, good I'm just getting so to can, the point now where I'm like I, I want to get it I want to get it yeah, done and over done. <laughs> so the next stage actually I got a good one because it was to Leon stage 14 and I was in the breakaway with Trentin who won with Trentin who won and a huge yeah. breakaway you were in that breakaway yeah and I thought I was going and it was really funny actually because I felt it was one of those days where you feel really good for most of the stage and you think you know what I got this pretty much wrapped up I can, I can be in there for the win today not at all. Like, just <laughs> did, was in like the first breaks. Me and Jens, Jens was in there as well, and Jens and I kind of were the first to attack, which should have been like kind of we should have known we were just desperate. We got dropped shortly afterwards, <laughs> and then came in the two of us like four minutes behind the breakaway. I remember chatting to Jens as we were going through Leon, and we were both just going, "We're too old for this now, aren't we?" We were literally having a kind of an existential crisis. We were like, "We can't do it anymore, can we?" And so the two of us just rolled in, me and Jens Vach, like four minutes behind the breakaway and just realising that it was the end. We were well, done. you, neither of you actually realised that. It happened to be your last Tour de France. Yeah. Jens battled on for another year he or two. He did battle really. for another year, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 2014 was his last yeah. year. Yeah, I remember yeah. that stage yeah. vividly, actually, as well. Yeah. Why? Why um, do you remember Because people? the peloton, as far as the Tour de France goes, almost rolled in in a relaxed yeah. manner. And Seven uh, down yeah, Trenton yeah. won. Yeah. yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. Right, first time anyone really heard about Trenton. It was a, a bit of a breakthrough win for him. That, um, and then stage fifteen next day was Bastille Day. Pete Montventu, there you go. You played a massive part in that. Yes, yeah. He's nodding, podcast listeners. He is nodding. Oh, yeah, sorry. He's, he's uh, no, but I mean there was way more to the stage than that, Ned and David, wasn't there? There was Pierre Roland. There was for a start. Way more uh, prolific than what I did in the first 5k of Mont Ventoux. Well, can you not remember how hectic the first... Was that where it was, was just so fast? 
so fast. So to explain, there was it was flat, and then there was a maybe two cat two category two cat two climbs, and then mm. it was flat, and then there was month on two, wasn't there? Yeah, Just and it was a rip at every single person. It felt like wanted to be in the breakaway. No one was happy with any situation on the road until we yeah. got to the second category climb. The break went. Everyone, including Froome in the yellow jersey, stopped for the toilet. And then P.O. Rolan attacked. (laughs) 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 And got Uh. halfway across to the breakaway, at which point the... What happened then? What was the tactic that the, the teams in the breakaway... So the teams in the breakaway then started riding on the front of the peloton, am I right? Oh, to bring Pierre Ro- Roland it was back, ridiculous. because it French was teams were going against French teams or something. It, yeah, it was a two-minute gap. Roland was at about forty seconds to a minute at this point, and oh, I see. So they didn't want so Roland then, to get across. Yeah, so then they said, okay, we'll we'll just bring Roland back. Oh, so it was okay. like we went into Pete. a valley road, and it was just like. Four. Do you know why P? No, it was Bastille no, no. Day. It was Bastille, it's Bastille Day. Day. It was Bastille Day. But still, yeah, yeah. it was just it was crazy. And then, then finally got brought back. And then, um, the hire car company in France. What's it Euro- called? <laughs> Europe, Europe car. car. Europe car. <laughs> <laughs> then, Another cycling sponsorship that worked so well. So then, once <laughs> the race had been on full gas over the category uh, over the category two climbs. Everyone stopped for a, a, a week. Roland attacks. The other teams in the break chase him down. He gets caught. Then Europe caught say, well, because you brought Roland back, we're going to bring the break back. So then uh. we're on this, like, it was, and it's 1, 2%, isn't it? That that road towards mm-hmm. Montpontu. The whole Europe car team on the front going absolutely full gas to bring the break back for probably, I would say, between roughly off the top of my head, 50 and 80 kilometers and then they just completely implode it was it was <laughs> it was madness wasn't it ah uh, yeah classic bastille day yeah 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 i was at the um i i, I was on the t- i was waiting for the climb to come up the top of mont and it's one of those you'll understand this now pete and david it was one of those split zone techniques where they obviously got very little infrastructure right at the summit so the the actual zone was down on the what's the, the what's you call it the col des tempêtes that 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 ridge that mm. goes you know just a little bit like a couple of kilometers from the um so that's where the zone technique was on this flat bit and we me and liam <laughs> <laughs> had to yomp our way up through this scree slope with Liam with his camera on his back hours ahead of you guys actually hitting the climb and wait wait for the race to come up so we could do some interviews like that and um, we got there and there was absolutely no television set up no TV monitors whatsoever for the journalists oh. up there or anyone to to, fo- to to follow the race including Dave Brailsford who just arrived in one of the Team Sky Jaguars and he goes Ned he, he ran out, he was running towards me. He goes, Ned, where, where's the TVs? And I went, there aren't any. He goes, well, how are we going to... And I went, I don't know. And he goes, well, hang on. When, why don't we just dive into um, the, the Jaguar and we'll see if we can get some TV1 reception there. So I, I watched that entire climb sitting in a leather-upholstered Jaguar passenger seat next to Dave Brailsford watching you nice. on the climb. No way. Yeah, it's quite funny that, isn't it? And he, he did his absolute nut when... Because when, Cantana attacked first, didn't he? Yeah. And then, and then, wasn't long before Chris Froome sort of countered, and it. But it was, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it was way before the agreed point at which Froome was going to attack. Right? Certainly, that's what Brailsford sort of suggested to me. Oh no, why is he attacked now? Yeah, well, the idea was for me to get to five k to go, and with ten k to go, I was like on the absolute limit. Um, but obviously, we had Richie Port as well. Um, but I guess looking back without realising what I was doing was suited my ca- characteristics as a bike rider down to a T because I just hit the climb really hard um, and whittle it down to perhaps I don't know eight or nine riders and then Richie Port would take over but yeah Froome did go early on that day and it, it, it was that day where all the footage come, you know the, the really super high cadence seated 30 second yeah. accelerations happened wasn't it where it just made everyone else look like they're in a different bike race. Yeah, 
it was um yeah it's one of them so he, he wins the day he, i mean he wins the he wins the day. it's kind of epic isn't he? he's in the yellow jersey it's bastille day it's mont Ventoux, and it's the centenary tour de france uh, and all that sort of thing and at the end of the day he leads the tour de france by four minutes and 14 seconds but who's in second place do you think mm. this is nuts it's so unexpected <laughs> It's uh, Balka Molima. Oh, that's right. I forgot this is where Balka was so close to podium in the tour. Balka Molima. Yeah. And David, yeah. do you think we were talking on how cycling's changing so much? Do you think mm. talking about that specific day on Bastille Day with how the French teams were riding, do you think those days have gone? Because I haven't seen that type it's of true. stage happen. It's true, they don't do the French kamikaze anymore, do they? Even just the crazy team tactics as well. Yeah. No, they don't, you're right. I think cause the teams have become a bit more international as well now, haven't they? They're yeah, kind perhaps, of, yeah. They're, they're kind of more anglicised as well. Because they always do the opposite. Maybe yeah. maybe, maybe that crazy solo attack in 2018 from Johan Ofredo. Maybe that was it. Do you remember? Yeah, that's true. Off the front of, maybe that was it. And then he, he was bitterly then he sort slammed of like, the whole of French cycling. Yeah, he did. He just said, yeah, yeah. Or just modern yeah. cycling. He said, well, you know, not even, yeah. So maybe that was it. Maybe yeah. that was the uh, more significant moment than we imagined. Hmm. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. All right, let's rattle through. I'm quite tired of 2013 as well. Yeah, yeah me too. <laughs> yeah, let's can get it just, done. Can we skip a few stages? <laughs> yeah, let's. Yeah. The next day, stage 16, Contador nearly crashed on the descent towards Gap. He nearly crashed and then Froome sort of rode up to him and wagged his finger at him. And Ooh. later on, uh, Froome said this. They were really pushing the limits on the descent. He's obviously getting desperate. So he says, he says Contador's getting a bit desperate now. And it was, it was unusually kind of, it, it was actually quite a pivotal moment when you think about the rivalry that those two had. You know, and they were, Contador was by far Froome's biggest rival through all those years, wasn't he? Yeah. And his, he was the rider who spooked Chris Froome. And, you know, year after year at the Vuelta, he'd turn tables on him and stuff like that. But it was, for me, watching that, I thought, that's Chris Froome, little Chris Froome, wagging his finger at the great Alberto Contador. Like, and it felt like a really significant moment that Contador had lost it a bit, was seriously under yeah. pressure. And Froome was suddenly patroning it a little bit a little bit mm -hmm. yeah yeah That's, yeah you'll buy that i'll buy that yeah 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 and Good. then within next two day. years next he's, on the, he's on the bus um fisticuffs with yeah. Nibley. that was the start of it. god yeah on the bus yeah yeah and then in 2023 he's attacking off the front in the tour of rwanda for 75 kilometers then crashing and double puncturing and in, in the rain doesn't care <laughs> what would be up to in 2033 <laughs> Same. On, on, based on that trajectory tour, tour series <laughs> podding with us oh god. <laughs> <laughs> oh god oh god and we'll be doing and we'll be doing 10 years on from our last 10 oh, years will, on yeah. from our last 10 years on yeah so yeah we'll be revisiting this podcast but with Chris Froome in 10 years time oh, god. <laughs> um, individual time trial you mentioned earlier Pete bike change in Chorge, two climbs and bike change and amazing and all that. Uh, do we want to talk about that? Not no. sure we do. Nah. Froome won it. Froome won the time trial. Nine seconds to Alberto Contador. Then it was Alp Duez. Two times up, Alp Duez. Pete, stage 18. But I bet neither of you can remember who won the stage. No. Not even close. You won't uh, get it. I mean, you uh, No, you won't get it. French I'll be amazed. Yes. I know who it is and I don't know his name. Um, uh, oh, on, if you get this... Uh, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hand. I'll I know you exactly who it is. I just can't think of his name. Can you remember the team? If you get the team, I'll be super impressed. Um, we're not doing one of those pod quizzes again, are we? No, we're, no, no, we're not. <laughs> but like when I was looking back at this, I have no recollection of this victory at all. And he's really gone like downhill in the last four I, years. I think disappeared. I think well, it might. I think, I think, I think it might have been the last. Really uphill. I think it one. might have been the last race he won. Right? It might. Was it the last that was race it. it was a classic French pull-out, biggest win of his career. Go on, just put, put me out of my misery. Oh, so it's AG to Alla Mondial's Christophe Riblon. Oh, no, I thought it was someone else. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, if you're listening, Christophe, I'm sorry that we don't remember it, but um, yeah. maybe we should get you on as a podcast guest at some point. Um, anything to say about that? Up no. to us? No. Yeah, it's really hard. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, after stage 19, which was the second victory of Rui Costa, we went to, that was the descent to Le Grand Bonnet and Rui Costa won, just like he won the gap stage as well. So he won two mm. of those, you know, like descent, uh, sneaky ones, typical Rui Costa. After that, my family were camping down by Lake Annecy, which was the next day with the individual time trial around Lake Annecy. Was it the individual? Oh, no, no, no. it's the, 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 st- the summit finished by Annecy anyway. Yeah. And I um, wanted to go and join them. And I had to ride from Le Grand Bonnon down to Annecy. And I didn't have a bike, but I borrowed a bike from a Belgian rigger. And he said, yeah, sure, you can borrow my bike. And it was a big old mountain bike. And it was only as I started to ride away after the dock had released us at about 7.30 in the evening. And I looked at it, it's about 35 kilometers on a mountain bike. But I thought it's downhill, it's downhill. But I started riding away from the zone technique, only to realize that the tire was literally rubbing against the, the frame of the bike the entire way so even when it was like downhill at six percent i was pedaling like fury and it was the longest 35 kilometers of my life just to go and join the family at a campsite horrific just to go and join the family at a campsite just to go and join bless them (laughs) (laughs) but but i will say just the other little behind the scenes story because we've heard a lot about the race in 2013 going back to just rewinding a little bit to an you'll understand a bit more of the significance of this, to the San Marlo stage, stage 10. We woke up, we, we stayed in San Marlo that night after the stage, and, we, and the next day it was Mont Saint-Michel. And when we, ke- we parked the car, and, you know, it's really late finish, and Liam had decided to leave his tripod and one or two other bits of kit in the car overnight. And we came out to the car park, and we found everything had been nicked and his tripod had been no like so with a smashed window and all that sort of thing it had all gone fortunately he had his camera still with him so he was able to work we went to Mont Saint-Michel we started filming like a postcard from Mont Saint-Michel I was wandering around to the church and all that and f- did all this filming for a couple of hours and then Liam came back and he found he couldn't eject the disc and his camera had developed a fault so everything was knackered for the day and then Liam and Woody had to drive after work all the way from Saint Malo to Paris, get it fixed at ten o'clock at night, and then drive back to the next day's finish. So that was a gruesome, gruesome couple of days. On that specific stage as well, on the final climb up to the finish, we recon that in the camp in the Chetal camp we did before the tour. So this is Annecy Le Semnoz, mm. isn't it? Yeah. So knew it. Yep knew it quite well but anyway that doesn't really play part in the story i was off the back and we'd been honestly the abuse we'd had throughout the whole tour about doping was unbelievable and this one guy was just going at it on the side of the road of about 5k to go and i just like rode rode up to the barriers got off put my bike against the barriers and just fully went into his face and rod allenworth just jumped out of the second team car and had to basically fully split us up <laughs> I can actually picture that. Yeah. Mm. I thought, yeah. you know, pretty much the last day, why not? Yeah. Have it off yeah. with someone that it's never gonna you're never gonna see again. Which is just yeah. it's you know, completely fueled by heightened emotions and not thinking logically one bit. But yeah, that's the tour, isn't it? It's the tour. That's the tour. And the next and the next day was the first ever evening start in Paris. We've spoken about this before quite often. And yep. David, it was your last. It was your last. That was it. It was your last. Yeah. Without knowing it, it was your last Champs Elysees, mate. I know. Yeah. I can't. I haven't got the, the energy to call through it. We can. Um, oh no. Yeah. Yeah. We kind of. That, yeah. that was a good story as well. We'll um. <laughs> we'll save <laughs> Do it. it another time. <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the po- just, just David. This is the 2013 podcast, so it'd be quite fitting yeah. if you could just talk us through a little bit of it. No, I was off the front. He was off the front. I was off the front. All right, can I ask you one question about you being off the front? Yeah. Did you, was there any point at which, when you were off the front, you thought, I might win this? No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Not even a tiny bit. How much of a lead did you have at any given point? 30 seconds, I think. Oh, that's pathetic. Yeah. Okay. Standard, 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 kind of fair. (laughs) But no, it was was magical because it was the first time we'd ever had the dusk sort of twilight things. And it was the first time we went around the arc. Yeah, some say magical. Other people just say annoying. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's really annoying it's now. Yeah, 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 yeah. Really super annoying. Now. Yeah, yeah. It was yeah. the first time we oh, went yeah. around the oh, arc. Yeah. That's true. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, by the book. But it's in there. The, sta- the stage was won by Marcel Kittel, and um, it was his, the first of his victories in uh, on the Champs-Élysées. But in, in terms of the sprinting field, he dominated it. You know, he'd taken that first sprint, he'd taken the yellow jersey, he'd rounded it off in Paris, and, uh, he, he, you know, he had... This was him. This was him at his very best, I think, Marcel Kittel in 2013. And um, ages ago, when we were going to do this all in one hit, he sent me a really nice um, voice note where he just talked about his whole Tour de France from Corsica to Paris. And this is Marcel's take. The Tour 2013 was for me, yeah, obviously a really, really good one, very successful one, but also um, a really tough one with uh, also special memories. Uh, and yeah, I was so happy that that's what I first of all remember to come back uh, after the tour in 2012 where I was sick and I couldn't achieve any goals. And yeah, the start was crazy. We had this first stage with a big crash, uh, the run into uh, Bastia um, uh, where we sprinted from a small group. And I, I think David was somewhere in the top five. I, I after, Afterwards, I, I had no idea how he did that. But um, obviously, he also had some good sprinting legs on that day. Um, and yeah, after that, uh, it was a long tour. Obviously, uh, we had so many highlights. Uh, when I think about climbing, we had this crazy stage to the Mont too. We um, uh, also went to Alpes two times. Yeah, great, great, great. I mean, afterwards, I would say, yeah, great, nice that we did that. But during the race, I thought, why? Because it was so painful. Um, and yeah, it's 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 been great. Uh, and also to finish in Paris um, during the. Uh, 100th, 100th edition of the Tour de France was very, very special, and um, to win there was amazing. And I'm really proud of of yeah that experience and those uh, uh, wins there. And that's it, guys. We got there. We got nice. There. Well done, Pete. What's what's tomorrow's stage look like in the UAE Tour, mate? Uh, good question. The same as today's stage. No wind. Okay. And cool. All finish. right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish there was more uh, to say about it, but there isn't. Mm. Yeah. All right. Uh, what else? Okay. Any we're done. topics? We're all done. Yeah. Okay. I'd just like to leave you all, and this is literally, you don't have to react to this. This is just going to be the last thing that we hear in this podcast. It's a tiny little clip of Pete Kenyuk in 2013. By the way, the race in which he was wearing the number three on his back. Anyway, in his debut Tour de France, part of a winning team, and an American journalist, about halfway through the race, uh, got a little interview with Pete outside the team bus where they talked about the race and then finally they got asked this question and Pete's answer when I heard it just made me laugh. So you're going you're gonna to hear it now. Last question. Uh, imagine yourself winning that first big race. Uh, what are you going to treat yourself to afterwards? Uh, probably a new watch. So. Cool. <laughs> yeah, cheers. <laughs>